الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والعدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمد عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to Quranic Progression and inshallah ta'ala today we are continuing the tafsir of surah al-a'la last week we covered i think two and verses two and three of surah al-a'la and in which allah subhanahu ta'ala after mentioning the uh, opening verse in which we are commanded to praise and glorify the name of allah subhanahu ta'ala the most high allah azza wa jal goes on to mention some of his attributes and abilities, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from them, the one in verse number two is, الَّذِي خَلَقَ The one who created and fashioned or proportioned. Uh, and we mentioned last week, I think in some detail, the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the signs that are mentioned therein and the way that Allah has proportioned, as some of these scholars of tafsir said, has proportioned and balanced and fashioned each and every single one of those creations accordingly for each one of them in their own interests, in their own ways, in what is uh, within their, uh, what, is, what is best for them in terms of them being able then to live and survive and thrive upon this earth. And so the creation of humans is very different to the creation of birds, and the creation of birds is different to the creation of uh, other, other, other animals, and, and animals different from fish in the sea and so on. And even within each one of those categories, you have varying, very, uh, diff- varying differences and and uh, different abilities and skills and talents that Allah Azza has bestowed within these creations. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala then in verse number three He says Subhanahu wa Taala, "Wallahi qadara fahada," and the one who decreed, and the one who guided. And we mentioned uh, last week the statements of the scholars of Islam concerning or the statements of the scholars of Tafsir concerning uh, what that's referring to, and how a number of them mentioned that it refers to the spiritual aspect of creation and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then guided people to their varying ways and paths whether that be the way of good and happiness or whether that be the way of evil and wretchedness and how some of the salaf or of the position that the hada or the guidance that Allah Azza is mentioning here is referring to what each and every single one of these animals and species needs in order to survive so for example Allah Azza guides it towards its provision that it knows its way and its path in life. So the animal, for example, every single animal and every single creature knows what it needs in order to be able to survive, knows what it needs in order to be able to live, knows what it needs for its own sustenance and nourishment. And that is something which Allah has placed uh, within animals, that knowledge and that ability. And so certain animals don't eat meat, as we know. And there are certain animals that only eat meat or you know, the vast majority of their diet is meat and then there are certain animals or certain creatures that mix between the two and so on and so forth and so to each one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them this ability uh, and that is from the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so when Allah says the one who decreed uh, or determined predetermined 
That is from the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as we said, some of the Salaf or the position that refers to the decree of Allah azza wa jal, but this is from the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the creation of Allah azza wa jal falls under the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because everything that is in creation and existence is from the decree of Allah azza wa jal and what animals or creatures or the creations of Allah azza wa jal what they uh, do in terms of gaining their sustenance and their provision and so on. All of this is from the uh, from the uh, decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we continue this week inshallah ta'ala from verse number 4. And Allah azza wa says in verse number 4, mar'a, Who bought out the green pasture. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Uh, Sahih International who brings out the pasture. Uh, Mufti Taqi who brought forth pasture, pasturage and uh, Muhsin Khan and who brings out the pasturage. The statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse in which Allah says mar'a. The mar'a as mentioned by a number of the salaf uh, such as Ibrahim al nakhai and Abu Razin and others from amongst the scholars of tafsir they said that the word mar'a refers to nabat, it refers to pasture or refers to vegetation and herbage that grows from the ground. Nabat means anything which grows. Nabata is to grow. So anything which grows from the earth is considered to be nabat. Uh, and so that, that would include, for example, plants, it would include pasture, it would include uh, it would include the various different types of vegetations that you find and herbage that you find that grows from the ground. All of this is considered to be nabat. And so that is the meaning of mar'a. And a number of the uh, a number of the um, scholars mention this explicitly that it is the 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 herbage or the fodder or the uh, the plant or the plants and and, and 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 the pasture that grows within the ground. Usually speaking, that pasture that grows uh, when it is fresh, when it is ripe, as it grows, we know that it is of varying colors. It is of varying colors. However, one of the most common colors that you find within it is the color green, which is why maybe some of the translations mention, as, as we've seen here in the, in the translation of Professor Abdul Harim, that they speak about green pasture or green herbage, because that is the common color that you will find within them. But it doesn't have to be green. Uh, in fact, Qatada, rahimahullah ta'ala, from the scholars of the Tabi'een, as we know from the students of Anas ibn Malik, an, and, and one of the famous and uh, major scholars of Tafsir, he said, uh, he said, وَالَّذِي أَخْرَجَ الْمَرْعَى all of the different types of herbage that you see, whether it is yellow or red or white or whichever color it may be. And so therefore you see all of these varying colors that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed upon the earth. And that is why Imam al-Tabari, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, وَالَّذِي أَخْرَجَ مِنَ الْأَرْضِ مَرْعَى الْأَنْعَامِ مِنْ صُنُوفِ النَّبَاتِ وَأَنْوَاعِ الْحَشِيشِ And the one who brought forth the pasture for the animals. And so al-mar'a is something specific for what the animals eat, as opposed to the plants and the fruit and the vegetables that humans eat. But some of, some of those issues, or some of those plants and some of those uh, vegetables as we know, and fruits and so on, are things that animals eat as well. So it's not just something which is necessarily unique to humans, some of them, not all of them. And so he said it is from all types of plants that grow and all types of herbage that grow upon the earth. And so Allah Azza wa Jal says that this is from his signs. So from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he causes this... Uh, herbage to grow from which we benefit and from which the animals and livestock that we use and that we depend upon also benefit. The um, 
the some of the scholars of tafsir or some of the linguists rather some of the scholars of arabic language when it came to this uh, tafsir of this verse because in the next verse allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will describe that from his signs is that what is fresh and ripe what is green or whatever color it may be what is fresh and ripe soon becomes dry soon becomes dead soon turns into uh, black or, or dark brown and so on it essentially becomes brittle and dry and it fades away so some of the scholars were of the position in in terms of the tafsir of this verse that they said that allah Azzawajal in these verses has a um what, what they call in arabic taqdeem and ta'akhir sometimes in the quran Allah Azzawajal mentions something before even though it should come after right it comes it's mentioned before even though it should come after uh, and so um, there are examples of this in the Quran uh, the like for example the statement of Allah Azzawajal salati wujuhakum or you who believe when you stand for prayer then and then Allah Azzawajal mentions the verse of wudu it should be the other way around the wudu should be mentioned first and then you stand for prayer so what it means essentially is that as you're preparing or you have the intention to pray or the time of prayer is approaching, then make wudu. But the verse starts with the salah and some of the scholars, you know, as we inshallah ta'ala when we come into surah ma'idah and, and those surahs that speak about the verses of wudu, we will go into that in more detail. But some of the scholars were in the position that that's to show and denote the importance of salah and how the believer should be someone who's constantly and always in preparation for salah or ready for salah. Uh, and, and by, for example, being in a constant state of wudu, as we know the Prophet ﷺ praised the people who are constantly in a state of wudu, and he said, no one preserves the wudu, لا يحافظ على الوضوء إلا مؤمن. No one preserves their state of wudu except the believer. Because the believer is always someone who is engaged in an act of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that involves wudu. So they're people who are constantly in prayer, not just obligatory prayers, but nawafil and so on. And they're people of Qur'an, so they're reading the Qur'an and touching the Qur'an and and so on and so therefore there are people who prepare to be and prefer to be in wudu and just generally because it is a blessed state and wudu is something as we know it's mentioned in hadith that it's something which uh, takes away a person's anger and takes away the temptations of shaitan and and so on and so forth and so therefore it is something which the believer uh, stays upon so that's an example of taqdeem and ta'akhir and so here some of the scholars said that there is something similar and so actually what the verse should be is walladhi akhraj al-mar'a ahwa and then فَجَعَلَهُ غُثَاءً Because the ahwa, as we will mention when we come on to the next verse, the mar'a and the ahwa uh, implicit within those two words is the color of the herbage and the vegetation or the, or the, or the pasture. So the mar'a is green or fresh, whatever color it may be. And the ahwa is when it becomes dark, almost black or extremely or dark brown, as you see the leaves on the trees in autumn. So they start off green and then they start to turn color from orange to yellow and, and so on, brown until they become extremely brittle and that is when they fade and when they become brittle and when they fade they become a dark brown and sometimes depending on the plants and depending on the ver- on the herbage they can actually appear to be black it is such a dark brown that it sometimes appears especially from a distance it can appear to be black so some of the scholars said that Allah is referring to that it becomes debris meaning once it has scattered or become so brittle it scatters like debris. It is something which can be scattered like debris. And, and we'll come on to that, inshallah ta'ala, shortly in verse number five. The point here being, however, that some of the scholars of, of, the, of, of the Quranic language, of the, of the Arabic language in Quran, they said that that's the meaning. That Allah Azza is saying that from his signs is that he has caused this green pasture to come forth that then turns 
brown or black and that then scatters like debris as if it is something which is brittle and scatters like debris however the position of uh, the majority of the scholars is that no uh, even though that is possible from a linguistic point of view from a language point of view it is not the position that you find amongst the uh, statements of the scholars with tafsir uh, it's not reported that I found anywhere and in fact Imam Tabari uh, ta'ala, mentions explicitly that this is not the position of of the scholars with tafsir he actually says ta'ala, he says that some of the scholars of the Arabic language said that actually what the verse means so not and they're not saying that the verse should be changed by the way when we say that what they refer to it means is referring to tafsir none of these scholars of Arabic language say that the Quran is wrong or that it should be reworded that's not the meaning it means in terms of tafsir that what it actually means like that verse that we gave in wudu uh, in surah ma'idah what it means here is that it's just easy in terms of tafsir for you to understand the stages of what takes place this is what it's referring to so they said that it should be ahwa, meaning that it starts off green and then goes towards a dark brown or black and then it is scattered like debris Ibn Jarir al-Tabari he said And this even though it is possible from a linguistic point of view except that it is not correctly because it goes against the statements of the scholars of tafsir the scholars of tafsir uh, didn't state that this is the case but anyway one of the greatest signs therefore of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that he has allowed for people this type of, of, of pasture that grows and that much of our livestock is dependent upon and their grazing is dependent upon these types of pastures that Allah has allowed to grow upon the earth. Ibn Ashur uh, he said that this verse is a reminder to creation of all plants not just the pasture that grows on the earth but every single tree and every single plant that Allah has allowed to exist and it is something amazing from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is what we mentioned uh, in verse number two that when Allah says that he created and from his science is his creation it doesn't just mean uh, the creation in terms of the category of creation so for example mountains mountains are an amazing creation but each and every single mountain is so different and distinct you have mountains that are in the deserts mountains that are snow-capped mountains that are that have a sheer rock face mountains that are extremely big and tall and mountains that are smaller and every single one is different and that is why it is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Each one of those mountains is amazing within their own uh, within their own right. And then if you were to look into that, uh, you know, I'm sure there's people who are experts in mountains and the types of rocks and the deposits of minerals and, and other things that you find in there. And then some of them have waterways and others don't. And all of this stuff that goes on and the caves that you can find within them, it is something which can be in and of itself a field of study. Just the mountains that we find upon the earth. So similar to that, each and every single category of creation, within it, there are so many countless signs from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. And likewise, Ibn Ashur is saying, likewise, it is the same with plants and trees. If you were just to go to a, a botanical garden or some type of a garden where, you know, you get these, uh, in the UK anyway, we have these uh, parks, uh, like we call them botanical gardens and, and so on. There's some very big ones in the UK. And you go there and you see all of these different types of trees trees of all sorts of shapes and sizes and their leaves are different and their colors are different and the shapes of their leaves are different and some of them have been there for hundreds of years centuries and they have been standing each one of them is amazing and then what people can extract from them and what people can benefit from them how many medicines and how many natural things or how many products that we use today are taken from leaves and taken from certain 
trees in terms of the benefit that you get from certain plants and certain trees and so on. Amazing, the trees that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed uh, therein. Um, if you go, for example, to the different forests of the world, so the Amazon forests will be different in, uh, to the forests of Canada and the forests of the US and the forests of the UK and the forests that you find, for example, in Malaysia and Indonesia and that part of the world. Each one of them is, is, is this distinct in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed and how much of our natural remedies and medicines and products are taken from these plants. It's amazing. One of the most common things that you find when you go to the Arab world um, is the love that they have uh, amongst uh, men for Oud. And Oud is taken from the bark of a specific tree. And that tree uh, grows in certain parts of the world, such as in Vietnam and Indonesia and certain parts of Yemen and so on. It is a well-known tree. And that tree bark that, that they extract from it, the Oud, it is something which is extremely valuable. It is something which is extremely uh, expensive to get pure Oud or Oud that is in and of itself, like the pure essence of Oud, is something which is extremely expensive. And that's why Oud is, is very expensive as a perfume, it's very expensive as a Bukhur, and so on. This is just one example of how many things that you can benefit from uh, in terms of this. And the Sharia understands its importance, the importance of these uh, types of, of plants and so on. Uh, in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, when he came to the conquest of Mecca, and the Prophet ﷺ spoke about the sanctity of the Haram of Mecca. One of the things that you're not allowed to do is uproot trees to take out the plants of Mecca or to take off the trees, the natural trees that have grown within that city and the natural herbage and so on. It's not allowed to uproot those trees and take out those plants. Uh, Al-Abbas, in some narrations, the uncle of the Prophet Al-Abbas, he said, O Messenger of Allah, illa al-idhkhir, except for the plant that is called the idhkhir. For we use it in our homes and for our graves, and we use it for our affairs. The Prophet said, We'll make that an exception. Because the Sharia acknowledges that for many people, there are certain plants that they use, even in the Haram of Mecca, even where it is a place where it is not permissible to do that. There are certain plants that they used to use. And so it is something which you find with within it. And the Sidr plant, as we know, has its medical benefits. It's used in the washing of the deceased and so on. There are many that you will find or a number of them that you will find uh, within the Sunnah of the Prophet and mentioned in generally in the Sharia as well. So this is from the, the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, or rather Ibn Ashur wa ta'ala then continues and he says, وَاقْتَصَرَ عَلَىٰ بَعْضِ أَنْوَاعِهِ وَهُوَ الْكَلَأْ لِأَنَّهُ مَعَاشُ السَّوَائِمِ الَّتِي يَنْتَفِعُ النَّاسُ بِهَا Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to the creation of all of his trees and plants and every type of vegetation and herbage. But Allah Azza wa Jal in this particular verse, he speaks about the pasture for the animals because it is what the people are most able to connect with and relate to. It is something which they use on a daily basis. So remember that for, you know, until uh, very recently, until the last like maybe 100, 200 years ago, the vast majority of the world for centuries depended upon farmers and farming and livestock. And that's something which everyone would have been very aware and familiar with because that's where their food came from and that's where their milk and, and it still comes from there but now we're very detached from that process something which we don't really come into contact with whereas before it is something which most of the people were aware of or they had a very close connection with or a very close uh, ability to relate to and so Ibn Ashur says Allah Azza mentions this type of pasture specifically because it is something which the people could relate to it is something which is beneficial to them on a day-to-day -day basis. However, Allah Azza wa Jal is speaking about every type of 
uh, plant and every type of tree that you find upon the face of this earth. In verse number five, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, Then Allah says, Then we make it dark debris. And that's the translation of Professor Abdul Harim. Sahih International, we make it black stubble. Uh, Mufti Taqi then turned it into a blackening stubble and Muhsin Khan then make it into a dark stubble. Uh, the word Ghutha, as Ibn Ashur mentioned, uh, the word Ghutha refers to what dries, so what becomes dry and brittle from plants and leaves and herbage. And Ahwa, he said, is a color. Ahwa, he said, is a color. It comes from the root word Huwa. And it is a color that is dark brown, almost black. Dark brown, taqrubu min sawad it is almost black or close to black. And it is called wutha'an because uh, it is something which becomes like debris. So when the plant or the leaf or the herbage becomes dark, like stubble, it becomes uh, it's essentially dead, the leaves and so on, then they become brittle and they scatter almost as if they would be like debris. And Abu Hayyan al-Andalusli rahimahullah ta'ala, he said something very similar. He said, uh, Ahwa is referring to the color black and Ghutha because it is something that when, uh, when the, he says, especially when the rain comes and when it is mixed with, you know, in, in the period of time when rain descends, for example, in the autumn and so on, the leaves change color, they become brittle and then they scatter into dust. And that is something which they, you, therefore you find as being the statement of a number of the scholars of the Salaf, it's a number of the scholars of Tafsir from the Salaf, alayhim rahmatullah, that they spoke about a type of debris that scatters, as mentioned by, uh, as mentioned as being the statement of Ibn Abbas, radiallahu uh, anhuma. He said it is Hashim and Mutaghira, it is a type of scattered debris uh, that has changed color. And similar, Mujahid, rahimullah ta'ala, said something similar, and Qatada. Rahimullah Ta'ala said something similar. He said that it is that which becomes dry and becomes blackened. And he said, therefore, everything which was previously green or white or yellow or whatever color it was, dries and then becomes brittle after it was green and it was ripe. And something similar was mentioned by Ibn Zayd, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. He said that these plants and herbages are green to begin with, and then they become dry and as they become dry, they become brittle, and as they become brittle, they scatter. And that's why he said, That the water comes, and the wind comes, and it takes it as and where it pleases. And this is also from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just as the green, ripe herbage, plantage is something which is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it is also from the greatest signs of Allah azza wa jal, that that which Allah azza wa had given to it life, and that was so vibrant and colorful and so beautiful to look upon, then that also becomes something which becomes brittle and dies and it scatters. So the leaves in the winter, when the sun, the autumn and the winter, when they scatter, when they become dry, the trees become bare, the uh, you know the, the grass ceases to grow, all of the stuff that takes place, it is something which is from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is from the signs that Allah Azza wa mentions within the Quran in a number of places that do they not see the way that the rain descends and gives life back to earth, to the earth, after it was dead. It gives life to the earth after its death. The death of the earth is found within the death of its uh, plantation and within uh, its vegetation and herbage and pasture and so on. 
And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when the rain descends upon it, it comes back to life after it was formerly dead. And this is therefore from the signs that Allah then mentions of the resurrection. That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to bring this back to life after its death, and it is something that you find even with the most barren lands, if you watch these documentaries of the Sahara Desert or these deserts in Africa and so all of these places where you have these animals and it's barren land, dry land, as if there's not even a single uh, green thing in sight. And then when the rainy season comes upon them and the rain descends, that whole area becomes like a lush place of, of plantation and herbage and so on. All of that, all from the rain that Allah Azza wa causes to descend. That is from the greatest signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so if Allah Azza wa has the ability to do this on a seasonal basis, as a yearly basis, everything that takes place, then why doesn't Allah Azza wa have the ability to resurrect mankind after they have left this earth? And that is what Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa says that after the uh, herbage or the plants turn dry and brittle and they scatter, it is what is dried from the plantage and uh, from the plantation or from the uh, vegetation and herbage. The wind comes and it scatters it as it pleases. Um, and Allah Azza wa He says, refers to the color of it to show how dry it has become, how brittle it has become, meaning that there is no life left into it, meaning that it is blackened in the sense that it is completely devoid of life it is completely brittle and therefore it is something which um, something which scatters because it no longer has any life these uh, this opening passage of surah al-a'la therefore allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking about his powers and his ability subhanahu wa ta'ala and allah azza wa jal mentions to us these things as a sign for us to reflect upon and contemplate upon so that we may turn to him in worship and that we may turn to him acknowledging his tawheed subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number 6 he then continues and he says سَنُقْرِئُكَ فَلَا تَنْسَى Allah Azza wa Jalla says the translation of Professor Abdul Harim O Messenger we will teach you the Quran and you will not forget and the translation of Muhsin Khan we shall make you to recite the Quran so you meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam should not forget Mufti Taqi we will make you recite then you will not forget and Sahih International, we will make you recite O Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and you will not forget. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala in verse number 6, He then says to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, we will teach this to you or we will recite this to you and you will not forget. All of these signs that Allah mentions in the book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, all of these verses, everything that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam received, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is being told that you will not forget. Remember that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was someone who, as we know, was unlettered, couldn't read and couldn't write. And when the Prophet ﷺ was first approached by the angel Jibreel ﷺ, as is mentioned in the famous narration of Sahih Bukhari, and it's, it's the famous story that everyone knows of the Mount of Hira, and Jibreel ﷺ first comes and he commands him to read Iqra. He says, Ma ana I am not a reader, meaning I'm not someone who can read in that way. And so the Prophet ﷺ is commanded with that same instruction, a number of times. One of the things that the Prophet would then do, as we know from a number of hadith, and Allah mentions it more explicitly in Surah Al-Qiyamah, but it's also mentioned in a number of hadith, such as the hadith of Ibn Abbas, in Sahih al-Bukhari, that one of the things that the Prophet would fear is that he would forget revelation, or that the revelation would come upon him, 
and it would be something which he would not be able to retain and memorize. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a number of places, and this is an example of it, and as we said, Surah Al-A'la is from the early revelations of the Meccan period. He is told, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, سَنُقْرِئُكَ فَلَا تَنْسَى We will teach you or we will recite it unto you so that you will not forget. سَنُقْرِئُكَ This scene is for something which takes place in the present or the future. نُقْرِئُكَ We will teach it to you or we will read it for you or read it unto you. Uh, so that you will not forget from the word qira'ah. Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala he said concerning this verse, كَانَ يَتَذَكَّرُ الْقُرْآنَ فِي نَفْسِهِ مَخَافَةَ أَنْ يَنْسَى And that is because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would continuously revise and repeat the Qur'an within himself out of fear that he would forget. Just as today when you're trying to memorize a verse, so if you have a young uh, brother, sister, sibling, nephew, whoever it may be, child, that you see them memorizing the Qur'an, they repeat it in such a way because they fear that they will forget. And so this is something which the Prophet ﷺ feared also in terms of his own memory. Uh, Malik, Imam Malik, he said, The meaning of this verse, he said, is that we will teach you so that you memorize, that you will remember, that you will retain, and that you will not forget any of that which is being mentioned. And Qatada rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar and he said that Allah Azza wa is the one who allows his or causes his prophet to forget that which he wishes subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, um, the statements of the Salaf show, uh, one of the benefits that we take from this verse is that the memorization of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a gift from Allah Azza wa Jal. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially saying to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we will allow you to memorize. And indeed the Qur'an is easy or has been made easy for memorization. And that is why you have people across the world as we know and they have done for centuries memorize the Qur'an. Whether it's some of it or parts of it or half of it or most of it or all of it. It is something which the Muslims are able to do. And there are countless Muslims, uh, alhamdulillah, today across the world who have memorized the Qur'an. People who don't speak Arabic, people who don't even know basic Arabic, children, uh, you know, people who are generally unlettered, people who are blind, people who have, uh, some of them are deaf, some of them have other uh, learning uh, disabilities or, or difficulties. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the Qur'an easy as Allah azza wa jal says in Surah Al-Qabr, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرٍ And indeed, we have made this Qur'an easy for remembrance. So will there be someone who will then learn it or take heed from it? And so Allah azza wa jal has made the Qur'an easy and it is from the Miracles of the Book of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, from its miraculous attributes, the speech of Allah Azza Wa Jal, that it is something which can be memorized easily, and this is something unique to the Quran in terms of the scriptures of revelation, because the Torah is not something easy for memorization. Nor do you find many people, if any, that have memorized it. And likewise, the Gospels, and likewise the Psalms, and all of these different types of scriptures that people have of various religions, it's not generally the norm that you will find that it is memorized amongst them. And if it is, there are very few and far uh, between those people who have done so. Whereas with the Qur'an, it is the opposite. There is hardly a Muslim upon the earth except that they have memorized parts of the Qur'an. And a good number of them have memorized a good number of surahs and chapters of the Qur'an. And there is a good number of Muslims that have memorized the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why if you look at these international Qur'an competitions that you get, where they, that they hold in, in Egypt and in Saudi Arabia and Dubai and Kuwait and all of these places, even in the UK, you find these students that have come from across the world, people who 
A lot of them don't even speak Arabic. It's not their mother tongue. They're not Arabs. It's not something which they're familiar with. And they read the Quran, not just read in terms of memorization, but with the level of tajweed and proficiency that they have learned from their teachers. And as we know, that level of proficiency in tajweed and so on goes back all the way to the Prophet And so therefore, it is something which is amazing about the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jalla has made it easy. And so therefore, to be able to memorize the Quran, it is something which is from the great favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah Azza wa Jalla gave that favor to the best of his creation, and that is the Prophet And that is why there are a number of virtues and rewards of memorizing the Quran. It is something that people should aspire to and have an aspiration uh, amongst their children, for the children, that they should aspire to the memorization of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, for those of you that attended the Al-Isnad course that we did uh, over the weekend, when we went through a couple of those books, the book of uh, Fada'il al-Qur'an and Akhlaq wa Hamlet al-Qur'an, they spoke, we mentioned a number of narrations concerning the extra virtues and the rewards that are given to the people of memorization. And no doubt the people of Qur'an memorization refers more to just the memory, it is about the understanding and action as well. But no doubt there is also a reward and a virtue that is afforded to the people who memorize the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a respect and a station that is given to them. And so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was told to memorize the Qur'an. And he was told that Allah azza wa jalla would make it easy for him. And that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would not forget. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not allow him to forget. However, as we know there are narrations in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam sometimes would forget a verse and would be reminded of it. As is mentioned with the Prophet said that I heard so-and-so reciting a verse, he reminded me of the verse that I had just forgotten. And it is said in some narrations that in the prayer, the Prophet made a mistake. And so some of the companions such as Ubay ibn Ka'b they said, O Messenger of Allah, did you forget or has the revelation changed? And the Prophet said, I forgot. And that is why Qatada says that Allah makes his, um, you know, makes his Prophet forget that which he pleases. And that is why in the next verse, Allah Azza wa makes an exception to this. We shall teach you the Quran and you will not forget illa ma Allah, except for that which Allah Azza wa wills. And we will come on to that inshallah ta'ala shortly. And so therefore the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, memorization of the ability to memorize is something which Allah Azza wa gives in terms of a gift to whomsoever he wills. And that is why it is something which some people have the ability to do, not only in the Quran, but in hadith and in other sciences and so on, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them a good memory. And some of that is natural uh, that Allah azza wa gives. And for some of the companions, it was something specifically given to them or something which was given to them as an honor by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa or by virtue of his dua and so on. So for example, the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu an, where Abu Huraira said the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa once said to us, meaning a group of us were sitting there, and he said, who will spread out his cloak? that I may narrate to him. And when he takes it back, the cloak, he will remember everything that I say. And so Abu Huraira said, I did this. And so Abu, the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. And Abu Huraira said, I took back my cloak. He said, by Allah, I never forgot another statement of the Prophet ﷺ after that time. And so that is why Abu Huraira, as we know, is the most prolific narrator of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, so this verse, Imam Al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that Allah Azza wa is saying that we will teach you or instruct you to read O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa and you will not forget except for that which Allah Azza wa wishes. 
What does that mean except for that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wishes? We have two or three positions here amongst the scholars of the Salaf. The first of them is that what it's referring to is, and, and before we get on to that, by the way, the, the statement of Allah Azza we will allow you or make you recite and read so that you do not forget. Uh, in, the, in the hadith and the narration of Ibn Abbas عنهم, and the verses in Surah, uh, Surah Al-Qiyamah, uh, it is said that the Prophet would sometimes quickly read and repeat after Jibreel and he would constantly repeat out of fear of forgetting. And so Allah said to him in Surah Al-Qiyamah, لا تحرك به لسانك لتعجل به Don't move your tongue fast, don't hasten with your tongue so that you may hasten the recitation of the Qur'an إِنَّ عَلِيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَ But rather it is upon us to, uh, to collate it or to collect it and to read it to you فَإِذَا قَرَأْنَاهُ فَاتَّبِعْ قُرْآنَ And so when it is read to you, then follow its recitation And so the Prophet wasallam then used to read in a calm way and that is the meaning of the word tartil, which is, as we said, the general sunnah for those of you that attended the Lisnat course. And that is that you read the Quran in a calm and collected manner. So the Prophet ﷺ was told not to worry that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would preserve the Quran and that he would make him remember. So what does it mean then the exception, illa ma sha Allah, except for that which Allah wishes? Some of the positions, uh, one of the positions of the scholars is that this is a statement from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah will teach the Prophet the Quran and make him memorize it. And so therefore, he shouldn't be hasty in terms of its recitation. And the exception to this rule, what is being referred to in terms of forgetfulness is not the forgetfulness in terms of memory, but the forgetfulness of abrogation. Because when a verse is abrogated from the Quran, it is forgotten in the sense that if Allah removes the wording from the Quran as well as the uh, as well as the hukum, the ruling, or even just the wording and not the ruling, then that is something which has been forgotten from the Quran. So we know, as we know, there were a number of verses that were mentioned in the Quran that Allah then abrogated. Some of them both in meaning and in ruling, and some of them only in terms of, uh, sorry, wording and ruling, and some of them only in terms of wording. So for example, as this is in the narration of Umar an, that the verses of stoning the adulterer and the adulteress, used to be mentioned in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's mentioned in the hadith of Sahih Bukhari, the narration of Umar, radiallahu anhu in his khilafah, it is one of the final, uh, one of the final incidents from his life, radiallahu anhu, before his martyrdom, is that he mentioned that, that people were now starting to dispute some of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just like we have today. And they say that we don't find it in the book of Allah, it's not found in the Quran. He said that this was a verse that used to be in the Quran, and its recitation was abrogated, but its ruling remained. And so therefore, that's the meaning according to some of the scholars of tafsir. That's the first meaning in terms of forgetfulness or the exception to forgetfulness. Fala tensa. You will not forget except and unless Allah Azzawajal wills. How does Allah will? In terms of abrogation. If Allah Azzawajal abrogates it, that is a type of making forgetfulness or, or, or making something uh, forgotten. That's probably a better expression, making it forgotten, that which used to be part of it. So it's not that the Prophet وسلم, is forgetting, it's that it is been made to be forgotten by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning that it is no longer part of the book of Allah azza wa jal. The second meaning is the one that we mentioned already, and that is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, by virtue of his human nature, to show that he is someone who is human, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, may forget and then he is reminded. That Allah azza wa jal doesn't allow the Quran to become forgotten in that sense, but that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, may forget only to be reminded to show 
that he was at the end of the day human. And one of the benefits of that, and Allah Azza wa knows best, is that uh, it is from human nature to forget. So for example, the person who memorizes the Quran and they're struggling or they're making mistakes, mistakes or they're forgetting at times, that is human nature. If the Prophet wasallam can forget parts of the Quran or forget a verse of the Quran, then what about me and you? And thirdly, or another benefit is, as a number of the scholars have mentioned in their works, the seriousness of neglecting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after having memorized it. So it is something which you find unfortunately amongst certain people that they will memorize the Quran and then they will forget it due to a lack of revision, due to a lack of diligence and so on and so forth. That is from uh, from the uh, from something which, uh, which 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 is greatly disliked and it may even be haram depending on uh, what a person's intention is and how they approach the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are narrations to that effect from the Prophet wasallam. They all have a level of weakness in them, but generally speaking, they speak out against the one who loses the Quran, who forgets the Quran after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon them this, uh, this blessing and this honor. And we're not speaking about people who are obviously like have a valid excuse in terms of they have a genuine illness or you know a disease or something like that, Alzheimer's or something happens and they forget that's, that's a, a different thing. We're talking about people who out of neglect, out of their own uh, lack of diligence, out of their own lack of effort and so on, they end up forgetting the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is another one. The third uh, position of how what this means, exception, is that the forgetfulness of Allah is referring to is to leave it, is to leave it in terms of leaving off the action. Uh, and so uh, what it means, therefore, is, oh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, don't forget the action part of the recitation that we give you. Don't forget the action part uh, of the action of, of, of the revelation that we give you Unless Allah commands you with something else. As we know, there are a number of verses in the Quran that at the beginning of Islam, because they were the rulings were relayed in stages such as the prohibition of alcohol, then some of those verses no longer apply. And likewise, you have an example in the verses of fasting where Allah would first, or at the beginning of Islam, gave the Muslims a choice between fasting and between feeding. Then Allah later on, and that is also a type of abrogation in terms of law. And that is the position, therefore, that Imam al-Tabari chose, and he said, the meaning, therefore, or the strongest of these positions is, فَلَا تَنْسَى إِلَّا أَنَّ الشَّاءُ نَحْنْ أَنْ نُنْسِيَ كَهُ بِنَسْخِهِ وَرَفِعِهِ Don't forget, except unless we command you to do so, when we abrogate or uh, remove the ruling of that verse. So Allah says, إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ يَعْلَمُ الْجَهْرَ وَمَا يَخْفَى Unless Allah wishes, he knows both what is open and what is hidden. Uh, as Qatada said, Allah knows what is hidden and what you whisper to yourself. What you whisper to yourself. And Imam Al-Tabari said that the Prophet was being told that Allah knows what he does openly in terms of his deeds and his statements. And Allah knows that which he hides and conceals within his heart. And that is obviously not just for the Prophet but for everyone. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Imam al-Tabri continues, he says, Therefore Allah azza wa knows all of your deeds, all of your actions, that which is hidden and that which is open. And so therefore beware of the one who knows your situation and he knows intimately your heart and what it is that you think and what it is that you do. And so that is a statement from Allah azza wa So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is being told that when he is made to forget or when the ruling of Allah azza wa comes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that this is something which Allah has abrogated and the Prophet would never do anything untoward when it came to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
uh, Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti Rahimahullah he said that this verse uh, the verse that we're, we're mentioning here or these two verses rather in which Allah Azzawajal says سَنُقْرِئُكَ فَلَا تَنْسَى إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ He says that Allah Azzawajal in these verses is showing that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala may cause some of the Quran to be forgotten but then we also have a number of verses of the Quran in which Allah Azzawajal explicitly mentions that the Quran is preserved and such as for example the uh, the verse in Surah Al-Hijr inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu lahafidhun indeed we have revealed the revelation and indeed we shall preserve it and there are as we know a number of verses in the Quran and it is a established principle in our religion that the Quran is preserved he says so how do we then reconcile between this and essentially the answer that he gives is exactly what we mentioned and that is that Allah Azzawajal has promised that the Quran will be preserved and therefore it cannot be lost nor can it be something which is forgotten in that sense however Allah Azzawajal also mentions in the Quran that what can happen in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that parts of it may be abrogated and so when part a, a ruling or a verse is abrogated in terms of its recitation it is made to be forgotten in that way and this is essentially the statement that we mentioned of Imam At-Tabari that he mentioned from some of the scholars of the Salaf and so when a verse is, is, is abrogated he says it is almost as if it is forgotten it is a type of abrogation and when abrogation takes place as Allah mentions in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah Allah Azzawajal always brings something similar to it to replace it or something better than it in terms of its replacement as Allah Azzawajal says in Surah Al-Baqarah مَا نَنْسَخْ مِنْ آيَةٍ أَوْ نُنْسِهَا نَأْتِ بِخَيْرٍ مِنْهَا أَوْ مِثْلِهَا we don't cause a verse to be abrogated or forgotten and this is why Shah Muhammad Al-Amin is saying uh, this is the meaning of forgetfulness because Allah Azzawajal actually says that it is a type of forgetfulness here in this verse we do not abrogate a verse or cause it to be forgotten except that we will bring something similar to it or better than it we will bring something better than it or similar to it and so when Allah Azzawajal for example in the verses of of uh, fasting the option of fasting or expiation and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says even when that choice was given and to fast is better for you if only you knew and then Allah Azza wa later on makes fasting as we know obligatory upon everyone and the feeding is reserved for those few cases uh, as we know in the sharia where people are unable to fast and so for example the very old uh, person or the one who's extremely fragile and weak and, and infirm or the one who has a chronic illness, a, a, a terminal illness, and so they physically don't have the ability to fast, nor to make up the fasting. For them, that expiation of feeding is still preserved. For everyone else, no, they make up the fast, and they continue to fast. Similarly, when it comes to drinking alcohol and gambling, Allah Azzawajal mentions in the Quran, They ask you concerning alcohol, and or intoxicants, and gambling. Allah said, tell them that there is within it a great sin. وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ And also some benefits for people. وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا But the sin of it is greater than its benefits. And so Allah Azza wa is already highlighting in these verses, even at the first stage of legislation, that actually there is a uh, that actually uh, there is harm or, or, or what is better is that which Allah Azza wa will later then go on to uh, establish within the Sharia. So whether it's the prohibition of alcohol and gambling or whether it is the obligation of fasting as we mentioned and so therefore 
therefore, that is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded. Uh, and so therefore, this is essentially what Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala, is saying in terms of that reconciliation, which I just wanted to mention, as I said before, he has a book that is called which is a very nice book. It is something which a number of the scholars of the past wrote about, but this is, a, I think, a very nice uh, book, the Sheikh's book, which essentially looks at those verses that may some people may misunderstand or think that there is some type of conflict within them. And then he mentions what is the correct position and Allah Azza wa Jal knows uh, best I think inshallah ta'ala we will stop here for today uh, and then inshallah ta'ala from next week we will continue with verse number 8 uh, question here the abrogated ayah was not meant to be part of the complete the Quran which is preserved correct yes it is always something which Allah Azza wa Jal decreed that it would not be from the final book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so Allah Azza always decreed that. But there are benefits in terms of the uh, abrogation. Number one is we see, because sometimes those abrogated verses remain in the Quran. So it is something which we see, uh, that it is something which which is uh, which we see within the legislation of the Sharia, how it evolves. And the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the evolution of the Sharia, or if you like, in the, uh, in the way that the Sharia uh, has stages in terms of making something obligatory or making something prohibited. And sometimes when that verse is lifted in terms of its wording from the Quran, but its ruling remains in the Sharia from the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, that is also a lesson because our religion is based upon both of those two sources, the Quran and the Sunnah. And so that is essentially what Umar was saying. If you go to that uh, narration in Sahih Bukhari, Umar is speaking out because there were a number of people who seemed to be saying, Oh, we don't find this in the Quran. As we even today, you know, the, those people who only hold on to the Quran or claim that they only hold on to the Quran and therefore don't need the Sunnah, which essentially doesn't make sense because the Sunnah in the Quran, multiple places we're told to hold on to the statements of the Prophet and his Sunnah. But anyway, uh, that position is something that you find that people have because it seems to be attractive. It has a certain level of attraction to it. That is what Umar was referring to as well. And so to uh, dismiss that also, and so this is also from the test that people are given and so to show our uh, submission to the sunnah of the prophet and to accept it as a source of legislation that is also from the benefits and allah knows best with respect to the discussion we had regarding verse one what the linguist suggested as a tafsir would be a maxim that if the linguist suggests an interpretation that has no precedence from the country from the salaf we reject it so the general uh, rule is that when it comes to tafsir we go with what the salaf say the scholars with tafsir and that is because we uh, acknowledge that the scholars of tafsir, and when we say the major scholars of tafsir, we're talking about the likes of Ibn Abbas, and Ibn Mas'ud, and Aisha, and Abu Huraira, and, and, and Mujahid, and Ata, and all of those scholars that we, we normally refer to, they were scholars of Arabic language. So Ibn Abbas is a, is a, is a giant of the Arabic language. And all of these imams of Islam from, from the companions and from the major scholars of the Tabi'een and so on, they are well-versed and well-known for the Arabic language. So they may not be famous because they never wrote or they don't have many statements, but they were people who were well versed when it came to uh, when it came to when it came to the uh, the book of Allah subhanahu wa taala, the Arabic and so on that has been used. And so sometimes you know to to make that distinction and say, oh, these are Arab specialists. Yeah, they were Arabic specialists, and so they have their positions. But the general rule would be that we don't go to the Arabic because the Quran is not just about the Arabic language, right? You can't just be an Arab and make tafsir of the Quran. It is about what the Salaf said in terms of the meanings of these statements of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is why Imam al-Tabari, 
Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentioned what he did that he goes against the well-known statements of the scholars of tafsir. They didn't mention that there was any taqdeem or ta'khir or any, uh, any, any type of uh, bringing something forward and delaying something else in terms of the wording on the verses. So yeah, in terms of that sense, it, it would be good. The name of the book of Sheikh Shalqiti is Daf'u Ihamil Al-Tiram. As far as I know, it's not an, uh, a book available in English language. Uh, it's a nice book to, uh, to, to to translate if someone could do it. I think it's not the easiest work to translate, but I think it is something which is beneficial. Uh, in the old editions of his tafsir, of the Sheikh's tafsir, which is Adwa'ul Bayan, it used to be found at the end of that book. So in the old edition, like for example, the edition that I have, you find at the end of the book, uh, it's, it's just included because it's to do with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, it's to do with the Quran. However, in the later editions, they took it out and they made it separate because it was actually two separate books. But in the early editions, they used to just, they just put it together. Uh, now it's actually been separated and there is a nice tahqiq, uh, an edition that's been printed uh, that is uh, from the... Um, from the uh, Quran Society in Saudi Arabia, there's a specialist society of scholars that, that are all specialists in Quran and Tafsir. They have a, a society for the Quran and study of the Quran. Uh, they printed, they have an edition which is a nice edition uh, of that book, but obviously, as I said, it's in Arabic. Uh, regarding Isnad, for those who could not attend this weekend, are there two or more recordings for the two courses? There's so many links in the group and got confused. I don't know which uh, links posted in the group. Uh, but what we obviously do, because it's two full days, I think the way that they do the streaming uh, will be each session. So, for example, we start at 10 o'clock and then we finish at Dhuhr, we break for Dhuhr, that's probably one stream. And then they probably restart the stream every time there's a Salah, so, you know, from Asr or Maghrib, because for every Salah, they probably turn off the stream and restarted it again. Uh, that's probably what it was, but we only did two books. So, the two books that we did, Fadail uh, Al-Quran and Akhlaq Hamlet Al-Quran, but they're probably spread over uh, a number of of sessions, uh, I think anyway, uh, that's how it was probably done, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala we will conclude here today. Barakallahu feekum, wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.